0: Good morning church, my name's John, I serve as one of the pastors here on staff have a confession to make this morning I went, uh, I went to that place on my phone Under settings Where it says display and brightness To the subsetting of text size <laughs> This week I slid that little bar. (laughs) A little bar up. One notch. I'm not quite to the to the full on mega size, but I am really close. I am keenly aware of the frailty of our bodies this morning. Keenly aware of my frailty, my weakness this morning. And I want to make the, the most of our time this morning by jumping right into the text that God has laid out for us today. And that's Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be at verse 19 through 25 this morning. If you'd like to turn there in your copy of the scriptures or flip there on your phone if you can read the the text size of your Bible app. I now can. Before we read the text, let me offer you this. The the title of my message, if I was going to title the message this morning, I would title it, Responding to the New Covenant. Our response to the New Covenant. So maybe have that in the frame of your mind or somewhere swirling around in there as I read the text for us this morning. Therefore, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing." But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This morning, we're going to work our way through the text, sort of verse by verse and a section at a time. Our aim in doing that is to learn more about God and His Word, what He has said, what His truth is, and then also to work to make some applications for our lives today, both individually, but also as a church as a body. The, the book of Hebrews is really a letter or actually a series of sermons that were written and given to Jewish believers who were following the Messiah. These sermons and these words that were given were given in an effort to encourage them as a body of believers, to encourage them in the, fa- in the faith, particularly as they faced a a growing amount of persecution for who they were as people and who they were as a church. And so our goal this morning is going to be to work through the text and work to make some some applications as we learn about God and His truth. The first section of the text, the, the text actually breaks down really nicely this morning into sort of three main sections. And that first section is in verses 19 through 21. And this section is really this this massive, massively long, run-on sentence. But this first section, what it's doing is it's really summarizing, in large part, the first nine and a half chapters of the book of Hebrews. And it does so by outlining what I like to call some, some great blessings. There's really three great blessings of the new covenant that are outlined for us in this first section of the text this new covenant we've been learning about and reading about and having sermons preached to us about this new covenant over the last month this new covenant the new covenant through jesus christ comes with some significant blessings and this first section of the text outlines those for us this morning the first blessing that we We can find and we can see in the text is that the most holy place, the holiest of holies, the holiest place is now opened up. We can enter this most holy place. We can enter into worship and communion and connection with God. This is a blessing of the new covenant that we are no no longer distanced from God. But, yet, but now we can have communion with him and closeness to him. There's this drawing near to God that is now available to us. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Kelly put up on the screen the, 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 um, the, the picture of the tabernacle. And in that picture, you could see this this massive curtain that, was not, that used to exist to separate the people from God, the holiest of holy place, and what the the preacher, the author here is talking about is that that curtain is no longer there there 's no longer this, this formal distance between God and his people, that through the blood of Christ, because of Jesus Christ, we can have communion and closeness with the holy God. There's no longer this this distance between us and God because of the the stipulations of the law and the the division between us and God that the law includes. There's this, this closeness that we get to have with God and that closeness What we're talking about as we commune with God and are close to God, we're talking about about worship. It's actually what the first half of this chapter was all about, this this worship. When we come to God, when we are close to God, it's, it's a time of worship that's really the only thing that we can do if we are in the presence of God. If we are drawing close to God, our response, the only thing that we can do is worship Him for who He is and for what He's done. So we enter into this closeness with God through the blood of Jesus Christ in the new covenant so that we can worship. And worship is done formally in settings like this on a, on a Sunday morning. We, we believe that we come into the presence of God together to worship Him together. It happens in other places. On, uh, Laura talked about uh, women's Bible study. And they have a time of, often have a time of worship where they, they come together and they, they, they sing together and they pray together. They hear truth together. There's these formal times of worship. But the scripture's really clear that worship should be happening every day, every moment of every day. In fact, the psalmist writes, let his praises ever be on my lips. As we think about the, the new covenant and the, the entering into the closeness of God that we can now have communion with him through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on our behalf. Our posture should be a one of worship. Our hearts should be ones that are filled with worship and our lips should be proclaiming his praises in worship. The blessing of the new covenant the, the closeness that we have with God is this unbelievable blessing. We can now draw near to God. The second blessing, the second blessing outlined for us this morning is this this boldness or this confidence, it's this form of assurance that we have attained, that we can attain because of the new covenant, because of the blood of Christ. We are no longer covered with this sin and shame and guilt, we are covered in the blood of Jesus. We don't have to, to wonder any longer if if we are in or if we are out, if we are trusting in Jesus this morning, we can boldly and confidently say that we are children of the living God, disciples of Jesus Christ. We have this boldness and this confidence. Because of the the blood of Jesus, an assurance of who, who we truly are. Our identity is no longer ones that are distant or separated, but we are now children of God, followers of Jesus Christ. We have a new identity, not one that is walking around with guilt. And shame, But one that is, is cleansed and covered because of the blood of Jesus. What a, what a blessing for us this morning. The third blessing that's outlined for us is that we have a great high priest who is living and active today. Our high priest gave his life for us. We've talked about this over the last... I think we're in seven weeks now. We've talked about this this great high priest who is our mediator. And this high priest is is not like the, the high priest of old, but is a greater high priest. He's one that actually gave his life, sacrificing himself for our sins. But death did not hold him. Our high priest is risen from the dead and is ministering on our behalf. In the house of God, he is living and active. Church, our our Savior, our high priest is not in the grave somewhere. He is living and active in our world and in our lives. That's the Savior that we follow. Our Savior is not dead. He is alive this morning. And he is active. He is moving. These are these three beautiful promises laid out for us this morning in this opening section of the text. A great summary of the, the new covenant and the blessings that we have because of it. Then the author, the preacher, moves us into the next section, and that's all contained in verse 22. All contained in verse 22, it says this Let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This next section is what I like to call the, the marks or the signs or the identifiers of those of us who are worshiping God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Those of us who are living the new covenant with Jesus Christ. Those who have given their their trust into Christ. Those who believe He is the Lord and Savior who are following after Him. We have these, these marks on us, these identifiers of who we are because of the new covenant, because of the blood of Jesus these signs, marks on our lives. And the first one noted here is a sincere heart. The text says we draw near to God with a sincere heart. God is saying to us, come on in. Come in, draw near to me. And when we do so, church, we, we do so with a sincere heart heart. We can boldly enter God's presence because of the blood of Jesus, but we do that, and we do that with a sincere heart. The Greek word that's used here to, that we translate to sincere is alethinos. Alethinos. And that means genuine. There's no selfishness inside of us when we draw near to God through the blood of Jesus. There's this genuineness, there's this lack of selfishness. There's no ulterior motive when we come into the presence of God. Nothing superficial. The way that we may say this, a a sincere heart, is to say something like, this is our whole heart. There's this genuineness and completeness No ulterior motive, but a sincere heart. Our full heart, all of our heart, our whole heart. That is how we come before God. Not with some ulterior motive. Not to pressure God into giving us what we want as though we could. But we come in in worship, falling before Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Incredible grace poured out on us. And we do so with a whole heart, a sincere heart, a genuine heart. This is a mark on our lives for for who we are. We are people with a sincere heart. Christ followers are identified by our hearts that have been transformed and changed because of Jesus and fully dedicated to him. Church, we should be strange because our hearts are wholly given to Jesus through His blood worshiping our Creator. And people ask, what, what are you into? What are you dedicated to? How, what are you living your life for? What should be this picture of this heart that's fully dedicated, totally sincere, fully engaged with who Christ is? We live our lives that way. This is a... a The first mark noted for those who are following Jesus. The second mark is this full assurance or this fullness of faith. A full assurance, a a fullness of faith that comes from our faith in Jesus. So we come to, to God. We are drawn near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ with a sincere heart and this this confidence because of our faith. The key word here is faith. The preacher, the author is pointing out very clearly this word, faith. Faith. And faith is, is not works. Faith is not self-righteousness. Faith, fullness of Faith, confidence, assurance in our faith. Fully believing in God through faith. Church, the the Holy Spirit gives us the ability in dwelling inside of us to have faith. And our faith, that, that faith is what brings us assurance. Assurance and confidence that we are in Christ that we are living in this new covenant reality. It is our faith. It is not our works that bring us this assurance. Because if our works, if our works or our righteousness were what brought us the confidence, the assurance of faith, we would would always fall short Imagine if God had said, draw near to me in full assurance of what you have done. Draw near to me in in full assurance of your righteousness. Draw near to me in, in confidence, in full assurance, because you've done everything that you possibly can to prove to me that you are good enough. Draw near to me because you have merited my favor. Well done. Draw near to me. You've given enough. Draw near to me. You've gone to church enough. Draw near to me. You helped the poor enough. I've, I've seen you. Draw near to me because of your good works, because of your righteousness. No, that's, that's absolutely not what the text says. And that's not who God is. He says, Draw near to me because of your faith. Have confidence. In your faith. The third mark offered is this mark of being sprinkled, a sprinkled heart, and being washed with pure water. Sprinkled heart and being washed with pure water. What do these things mean? What does this mean, a sprinkled heart and washed with pure water? Well, these are figures that are taken from the, uh, the, the Old Covenant, the, the sacrificial ceremonies of the Old Covenant. These were things that priests did. They were continually washing themselves. And they were continually washing the sacred vessels, and, and they were continually filling these basins with clear water, and they were continually sprinkling, sprinkling blood to cleanse the things that would be used to interact with God, to, to help that communion between God and His people, signs of cleansing, this, this pure water and this blood being sprinkled were these these figures, these signs that things were cleansed under God's covenant. But here's the thing, this, these elements of cleansing, whether it was with water or with blood, these were just external things that were done. The water was washing the external thing, the blood was covering in an external fashion. But we know this, church, that the the cleansing that comes from Jesus, the cleansing of our lives that comes from the blood of Jesus is no external cleansing. It is an internal cleansing. Our hearts are cleansed. Our thoughts are cleansed. Our desires are cleansed. The inside is now cleansed. Our hearts are cleansed. The blood of Jesus. No longer just an external cleansing. There's this internal purification that can only come from Jesus. Only Jesus can cleanse the human heart. Only Jesus can cleanse our very conscience. Our very conscience. Now finally, we get to the third section of our text this morning. And this section comes to us in verses 23 through 25. It says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This final section is one that I would call the the great response. Our great responsibility, our actions, as we respond to the, the blessings that were outlined in the covenant, And as we celebrate the marks that we have Our identity because of the new covenant Well this is our great response to that reality Our great response, our responsibility, our actions And let's be honest, we should absolutely love this section of the text Because I know that many of us say things like Or we think in our heads, I am guilty of it as well Well, it's great that you told me what to think. And it's great that you told me what to believe. But tell me what I'm supposed to do. Like, we are people that love action, right? We like to be told what to believe, and we like to be told what to think, but we love being told what to do, what action we are supposed to take. I mean, how many of us have sat in meetings that say, okay, Before we leave today, what are the action steps? What are we going to do? This is one of those times that the text very clearly lays out some action steps, some, some actual things that we do in response to what has been shared with us about how we are to think and how we are to believe. What's encouraging to me is that we know that this This text, and we we know the Bible is not written to us, but we know that the Bible was written for us. And we see here that 2,000 years after this text was, was written, these messages were proclaimed, that the instructions, the action steps to take are right in line with what I need to hear this morning. My hope is it's right in line with what you need to hear this morning. And I'm trusting that it's right in line with what we need to hear this morning as a church. The first thing that he offers is that we hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. This word unswervingly is not one that we use all the time. And I was trying to think of a a picture that helps us think of what is it like to, to not be unswervingly. Have you ever watched someone learn to water ski on one ski for the first time? Anybody watch that? Okay. Well, if you ever watch somebody, I used to work at a camp and teach kids how to water ski, and the most fun was when somebody figured out how to slalom ski. But the journey of learning to swal- slalom ski is one of the funniest things that you'll ever see because that person is just swerving all over the place. We are to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Jesus. The hope that we profess is found in Jesus. Jesus. He died for us. He cleansed us. And we have hope because of Jesus. We have hope in this life, and we have hope in the life to come because of Jesus. We have an eternal hope. We say it a lot here that this is not our home. We're just here for a little bit, but we belong forever in eternity. We have this this hope because of Jesus in this life, but we have this ultimate hope because we know where our home is. We should hold on to hope, this hope that we have in Jesus. Hold on to Jesus, not swerving from the left to the right, but locked in to Jesus, the hope. That we profess. Now, what's particularly interesting to me in this section of the text, and maybe you noticed it too, it says, Let us, let us, and we profess. These are not singular terms, these are are plural terms. Let us unswervingly hold on to Jesus. The hope that we profess we us this activity of holding on to Jesus is not simply you white-knuckling it on your own trying to stay faithful to Jesus but this is a team sport this is a collective activity that we do together holding on to Jesus Don't hold on to anything else, church. Let's hold on to Jesus. The second thing, that action step that the author offers this morning is spur one another on. Spur one another on. Pastor Kelly was really disappointed when I told him I didn't want to borrow his spurs this morning. (laughs) Sure, are you sure you don't want to use my spurs? The word spur here means this. It means exactly what we think when we hear the word spur this poking, this prodding, this pushing, moving. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's a unique form of encouragement that we find within the body of Christ. That part of our gathering here together this morning is to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. A type of encouragement that really only exists at the spiritual level in the church. That we would know each other so deeply that we could see in that person what God has designed that person for the deeds that He has laid out before them, and we won't let them settle. We won't let them drift back. But we will spur them on, encourage them on, move them on to the love and good deeds that God has for them. Will we live like that as a church? Will we spend our time in the gym simply talking About the football game that we watched last night. Which, you guys, I love football. I love talking about football. I don't come here to talk about football, I come here to talk about Jesus. Who is Jesus? What has he done in your life? How is Jesus breaking through in your life this morning? I know you've had a hard week. I know your marriage is rough right now, so how can I spur you on to love and good deeds today? Brother, can I give you a hug? Because I know that life is tough. I mean, football's great, but church, you can get football talk anywhere else, but you can't get someone to encourage you in your brokenness anywhere else but the church of Jesus Christ. So come this morning, come every week with your burdens and with your brokenness and walk through those doors and I pray to the God of heaven that someone meets you here in your heaviness and in your brokenness and in your attempt to try to prove yourself worthy to God. And the anxiety that we feel and the sin and shame that we carry, that we would come here and deeply encourage each other and deeply spur one another on because this type of gathering is so countercultural. The world doesn't want you to meet together, the world doesn't want you to encourage each other in the faith, the world doesn't want you to hold on to Jesus. Let's be that kind of church. A so gospel-centered and focused church that we care so much about Jesus that we take the gathering here so serious that we do not stop meeting together because the meeting, that's the third point. (laughs) You can click it now. (laughs) We don't give up meeting together and this is not The pastor's ultimate concern is that you show up at church. Because I could take this text and say, This is about you getting to church. Well, certainly it's about getting to church, duh. But it's much more than that, church. It's about what you do here when you get to church. It's about being a people. I want to be a people. We want to be a people. We desperately need to be a people that don't simply show up and check the box. Of coming to church right that we actually believe in our heart of hearts that when we come into this building and we gather together as a people and we absolutely cannot do anything else that there's nothing more important than meeting together to spur one another on and to encourage each other in the faith because we cannot do it alone And we need to hear each week man, I need to hear it every day. That you can come and draw near to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you, poured out on you. And that you can be together as brothers and sisters in the faith, loving each other deeply and spurring one another on to the good deeds that God has for you. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. This morning, it's clear that your word is so good. Father God, thank you for ministering to us this morning through your word. We're grateful, Lord, that you want us and call us to draw near to you. We're so grateful for Jesus and for what he's done. in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.